Well, good morning. I am Jeremy Ford, the Amelia and Nottaway campus pastor, and I, want, I too want to welcome you to church today. Because no matter where you are in the world, no matter what's happening around us, right now in this moment, we're together. It's our greatest hope that we can find peace right here in the presence of God. You know, before the world fell apart, we started a series called I Am, where we're looking at these seven impactful statements that Jesus made about himself and what they mean for you and me. There's one truth that we're leaning into during this time. It's that Jesus still is. A few weeks ago, our senior pastor, Brian Hughes, kicked off this series with some potent teaching about Jesus being the light. And if we follow him, we'll never walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. If you missed that message, I want to encourage you to take the time to go back and watch it. And this week, we're going to spend some time looking at another of those seven powerful I am statements of Jesus and the potential that they have to radically alter the course of our lives. So today, we're going to jump right into this week's I am statement. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, this happened in Jesus's final public address that's recorded in the Gospel of John. And I got to tell you, the first time I read it, it was a little confusing to me because I was trying to figure out why Jesus is a gate. What is he a gate to? What's on the other side? And so today we're going to spend the next few minutes unpacking the power of this statement. But it may take me a little while to get there. So I hope that you'll just stick with me because I'm going to give you a little peek into kind of what it's like to be all up in here. Because when I started thinking about gates, I couldn't help but think about fences. I mean, what is a fence without a gate, right? So the more I thought about this, the more I realized how fascinated I am by fences, at least most fences anyway. They're beautiful and many of them tell a story like this fence here. This is a picket fence. A picket fence has an uh, iconic status as Americana. It symbolizes the ideal middle-class suburban life with a family and two and a half kids and a dog and a nice beautiful house with a big yard. Or what about this fence here? This is called a split rail fence. I had never seen a fence like this until I moved here to Virginia. And this is probably one of my favorite fences. I love the way this fence looks. It looks manly. It makes me think of these epic battles fought long ago, some even forgotten, but the fence remains to tell the story. There's wrought iron fence and slate fence. There's barbed wire fence, electric fence, even invisible fence. There's always been something about fences that raises questions in my mind. Like, why is it here? How long has it been here? Is it designed to keep something out or something in or a little bit of both? Sometimes the answers are obvious. Other times, it's a little unclear. Like, what in the world is with all the fences around here that don't actually connect to anything? I'm not sure I'll ever understand the purpose for those fences. Sometimes, though, 
Fences keep us from something we want. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've stood in front of a fence and just wished I could have what was on the other side. I stood on the other side of a fence not all that many years ago. It looked a lot like this. This is probably my least favorite kind of fence. I remember standing on the other side and I desperately desired the unrestricted access that lay just over there. Now the ground was the same, the air was the same, but there was something special about that side. I would occasionally see people over there and I craved what they had. I wanted the safety, the promise of something better that beckoned from through the small square holes. Since authenticity is one of our core values, I have to say that many times I thought about what it would take to get over that fence, to make my way to the sweet freedom calling to me. The truth is, if I chose to find a way over or under or through the seemingly insurmountable barrier, the only thing that waited for me on the other side was hardship, loneliness, and strife. But the allure of life on the other side was so tempting. It promised something better, something more. You know, I never went over that fence, but a good friend of mine did, a guy named Dave. You see, many years ago, before I ever found myself behind one of those fences, Dave decided that life on the other side of the fence was worth the risk. One dark summer evening, he showed up at the door, panting and out of breath, eyes darting everywhere at the same time, covered in a hundred cuts from the razor wire all over his body. Rushed him inside, and bandaged him up, and gave him a place to hide out. I remember thinking to myself in that moment that I'm not sure I had ever wanted to get into or out of some place so bad that I would go through what he did. I even asked him about it, and he just kind of flippantly replied that it was no big deal. Until it was a very big deal. One day I pulled in the driveway, and the entire house was surrounded by SWAT teams with police everywhere with guns drawn. And I've got to be honest with you, I didn't think too much about Dave in that moment. But I was keenly aware of the very real and present possibility that I may find myself behind a fence very soon. About an hour later, they pulled him out of the attic covered in sweat and insulation. And off he went to spend quite a few more years behind a much stronger fence. I thought about him often throughout the years. I've even recounted his story a few times when I'd be sitting around with some guys in the prison yard, quietly whispering about what it would take to make it to the good side of the fence. I hope that you've never had to climb a fence like that, but 
We've all at least tried to climb some kind of fence. Maybe you were young and adventurous, making your way to a, a fishing hole or to get a better look at something. Or maybe the fences you've tried to climb are fences fashioned not from steel or block or wood, but fences of your own making. Fences that surround your heart, your past, your emotions. Fences that were designed to keep things out, but are actually holding you inside. I'm fairly certain we've all faced a fence or two like that at some point in our lives. As a matter of fact, we all face one now together. And if there's anything at all that I've learned about fences over the years, is that there is truly only one way through a real fence, a secure fence. And that's by the gate. Because it doesn't matter how large or seemingly impenetrable a fence is. It's only as strong as its gate. And I think we all understand the importance of gates. We go through gates all the time. We arrive and depart from airports through gates. And in order to get to those gates, we have to go through a security gate. And before that, we have to drive through another gate to park our car in the parking lot. Many of us have gates that provide an entrance to our yards or security gates that help us feel safe. Gates are a symbol, a place where special access is either granted or denied to whatever is contained within. There are all kinds of gates in the Bible, too. There's the gates of heaven, sometimes called the pearly gates. There's the floodgates of heaven, the gates of hell, the gates of the temple, the eight gates around Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the word gate appears in the Bible well over 200 times, depending on the translation. But just like today, the gates in the Bible were meant to prevent or control the entry or exit of individuals. So let's go back to the text. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Now, I want to give you a little backstory here because Jesus has just recently healed a man who was blind. And the religious leaders called the Pharisees have been interrogating this man because they believe that he's lying about what happened. So when Jesus says this here, he says, I am the gate, what he's saying to those people who were listening, to all the religious leaders that thought they were the way to God, they were nothing but sneaky criminals. The only way around this fence, this barrier, is through the gate. And he is the gate. I can't imagine, I mean, this had to be a pretty scandalous thing for Jesus to say. Because up until this point, throughout the entire Jewish history, These religious leaders had been the gatekeepers. They had been the ones opening and closing the gate at their own will, deciding on right and wrong, who deserved what, based entirely upon their own interpretation of a bunch of laws. These were the people who monitored and controlled access to God. Imagine the religious leaders thinking of the temple gate, of how they had been in complete control. The problem is, 
They were caring only for the pen with no regard for the sheep. I think it's important for us to understand a little bit about the sheep, too. In this ancient culture, especially sheep and shepherding and what happened there. Because it's interesting that of all domestic animals, sheep are some of the most helpless. Sheep spend their entire day grazing, wandering from place to place, and more often than not, never looking up from the ground. And as a result, it's very easy for them to become lost. Because sheep have no homing instinct, as other animals do. They're totally incapable of finding their way to the rest of the sheep. Sometimes when they're even in plain sight. By nature, sheep are followers. If the lead sheep steps off a cliff, the others will follow. So clearly, the sheep need some help. Maybe you and I do too. There's a fascinating story I came across about Sir George Adam Smith. He was a well-known Old Testament scholar who traveled through the Middle East. And while he traveled, he came across a shepherd with his sheep. And after talking with the shepherd for a while, the man showed him the place where he kept his sheep at night. A place with four low walls and just a narrow opening. So Smith asked, is this where they go at night? And the shepherd replied, yes, when they're in here, they're perfectly safe. To which Smith said, but, but there's no gate. And the shepherd responded, I am the gate. Now the shepherd was not a follower of Jesus. He was simply speaking from an Arab shepherd's point of view. So Smith asked, for some clarity here, I mean, what do you mean you're the gate? Shepherd replied, when the light is gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space. And no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the gate. So, picture with me for just a second what this scene must have looked like. As Jesus spoke these words and what it meant to all those who heard him, these sheep pens were probably everywhere and everyone who could hear understood the implications that Jesus was making. I imagine the people, after everything that they had seen and heard of Jesus, hanging on every word, glances darting between the confident Jesus and the speechless Pharisees. What he was saying to them is, I am the one standing between you and trouble. I'm the one who is here for you. I want to guide you, to protect you. All you have to do is follow me. This is exactly what Jesus is saying to you and to me now. There's a promise here, a promise of protection and guidance that's waiting for us on that side of the fence. But Jesus isn't done. He wants to make sure he gets a point his cross. So he says again, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. I have come so that they may have life 
and have it in abundance. See, Jesus stresses multiple times here that he is the gate. This isn't like Home Depot. There's no gate store. He's not one of many options. He's not even one of a few options. He is the only option for all the sheep. He is it. The only way in. If you want to get to God, you must deal with Jesus. Because access to God comes no other way. Seems simple, right? It's pretty clear. If we want the kind of life that Jesus offers, the kind of life that God promises us, there's only one way to get it. It doesn't happen because we're good or kind or just. The other thing Jesus promises here is life and to have it in abundance. I don't know about you, but I like life. I certainly like living it, and given everything that's been going on in our world, I really like the sound of having an abundance of it. I think it's what we're all after. As a matter of fact, I think it's hardwired into who we are. We want more. We want more comfort, more time, more love, more patience. We want more of every good thing in life. Be honest, I think we just want more of more. For most of you joining us today, it may feel like the only thing that has felt abundant in your life lately is struggle. Struggle with your kids, struggle with your job, struggle with what's going on in the world, struggle with relationships. See, Jesus isn't promising us an absence of struggle. What he's saying here is to to you and to me is that we can have life and have it in abundance. Life in abundance. But the kind of life that Jesus is talking about here, that he's offering to us, this isn't necessarily about comfort or wealth or an abundance of worldly stuff. What Jesus is talking about here, true abundance, he's talking about things of God. He's talking about forgiveness, relationship, hope. He's talking about presence. He's offering us the power to overcome obstacles. He's offering us the gift of endless love. As the gate, Jesus is the protector and provider. So when we come in the gate, we're safe and secure. We're saved. When we go out, we're nurtured and satisfied. Jesus becomes the the sentry, our own personal bodyguard. So that when the struggles come, and they will, we don't ever have to struggle alone. Jesus' protection isn't the absence of trouble. It's the promise that he will see us through. He's offering us something better. A life where we don't have to ever be alone. You see, the gate is not just a metaphor. 
Jesus is the one who gives us access to the other side of the fence, the unrestricted access to God. He holds the keys. And if we want the kind of life that Jesus talks about, abundant life, we have to be in relationship with him to get it. I said before that uh, chain link fences weren't my favorite, especially when they're wrapped in razor wire. That statement isn't entirely accurate. See, for most of my life, it was absolutely true because those fences represented something lost with little hope of ever being found. They were a constant reminder of my own moral failings. But one of the many beautiful natures of God is the unique ability to turn something that, whether intentional or unintentional, we made bad and bring it to mean new things. Now, when I walk through this gate, with excitement and a quiet confidence because I know that I have been welcomed into the pen both figuratively and literally to share the truth of Jesus' invitation with those who desperately need it. You see, when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is telling us, that the life that is waiting inside the gate, the life he wants desperately for us to have in relationship with him is infinitely greater than the one we have created on our own. When we talk about our five purposes, the first step to that is to know God, to come to church. But if you want to not just know God, but be known by God, then you have to walk through the gate. Maybe you're tired of staring at fences, both physical and emotional. Jesus is standing in the gap. He's made a way for you to come, a way for you to find comfort and rest. He's offering it to you now. All you have to do is take that first step and open the gate.